0: That's one small script per man. one Columbia,
1: Columbia. and we're back Welcome to the Knicks Wall Podcast, presented by Whistle Sports. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me as always, my co-host for life, Whistle Sports podfather, TKWOG, Kyle Maggio. What is up, brother?
2: What's going on, Mike? What's going on? Good people. How we doing? Good, man. Good day.
1: Also joining us, coming back, Eli Cohen. Eli, what is
0: up? Uh, Happy to be here. I'm coming to you from the East Coast for a change, so I feel so close to you guys.
1: That's right, yeah. So Eli got tired of the time differential. He came over East. Maybe New York's next. I don't know. I'm not going to... Wanted some of that
0: East Coast humidity.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I did notice that. East Coast really has some shitty air, but I digress. Let's kick it off with some news news. So the NBA Bubble Project is looking to expand to Chicago where the eight teams that didn't make the cut for Orlando would play. And what I gather, it's going to be like a training camp, exhibition-type style. The league held a call with those seven of those teams yesterday. The Knicks were the only team not there. Reports say that they were interviewing head coaches instead. Kyle, I'll start with you. Initial reaction on the bubble, and how would you feel about the Knicks not sending a representative on that call?
2: So my initial thought on the second bubble was the same as my initial thought on the first bubble, which is, this is stupid. And it's especially stupid when I understand there's always going to be financial incentive for any of these teams coming back. And that's of course why they're discussing, uh, discussing this. It's the only reason is the financial component. Those other eight teams don't want to miss out on any potential revenue, but it's kind of pointless when there's no end result because now you have to make it into like an NIT, you know? So you're basically making a playoffs that aren't the playoffs for the worst teams in the league. And it's like, I, I understand the on-court reasons for wanting to do that. I understand the financial reasons for wanting to do it. But it it didn't. It doesn't even make sense for the first bubble to be happening in Florida, which is going to be the new epicenter for all, you know, the, the coronavirus stuff. We don't even know how that bubble's worked or will work so far. And now we're already rushing into a second bubble in Chicago. It just seems like too much. Now, like, as much as I would like to... To, I, and I mean this, I would actually like to finish watching RJ Barrett's rookie season and, and see if maybe their, their strategy has changed. I thought they've had months off. and I, Of course, I'd be interested. Of course, I would watch. Of course, I'd, I'd root, for the, you know, root for the Knicks. Of course, we'd be tweeting the games. Of course, we'd be talking about the games on this podcast. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I wouldn't enjoy it. you know. But it, to me, I just can't get excited about it when you see all these players testing positive already for the Orlando level and all these practice facilities shutting down because pe- your players are tested positive. And it's like, as much as I'd like to get to that point where we could all just, like, watch the games and not think about anything else, it just it always feels like we're not going to get there. So, to me, I feel like this is just uh, biting off more than they can chew. They're just trying to appease all the teams. And you know what? I slammed the Knicks for doing the incompetent-type stuff or blowing off meetings or blowing off the NBA or, you know, Haphazardly, kind of walking through their own decision making, and I stand with them, strangely enough, on not joining that call. I understand that they said that they were interviewing another head coach. I'd like to get confirmation on who that was and, and that it was actually happening, but I don't care if it wasn't. Uh, apparently, the call was a show if you, mostly if you were going to go or wanted to go, and they didn't hop on the call. And I don't think it makes sense for anybody. To be coming back period so i almost appreciate that this time they were just like yeah uh no man we're not we are not interested in going that's all the all the different things we've heard from this so far is they're not interested in going so i'm okay with it man i really am i, I don't mind it i don't mind james dolan missing out on the call i don't mind them not going i prefer them not going it's safest for everybody else i'll selfishly watch if it goes through but i this is a non-issue, man. I'm kind of excited. I'm uh, not excited. I'm kind of happy that they, they boycott in a way.
0: Yeah. I'm with Kyle on this. I, uh, I think it's sort of lunacy to do this, especially when there's just, there's no, there's no outcome. There's no, there's nothing that they're playing for. All they're playing for is just to play and, While I do, I think we've seen enough training videos and, you know, Trey Young pickup games to know that these guys are still playing basketball. And so I get maybe wanting to have it in an environment where you can control all the factors, but considering how many problems seem to be popping up in the Orlando bubble, which is where a majority of the time and focus and resources have been devoted. I, I don't see any way that this makes sense. And it just seems completely reckless to me. Like, and especially for a team like the Knicks where, half the roster is on expiring contracts, Yep. right? So there is no possible incentive for any of these guys. The best case scenario for any of these guys is that they come through it, like unscathed. And I I don't see any way to convince players to do that. If players are having trouble committing for an actual shot at the playoffs, why are they going to come for this sort of amateur hour, losers bracket, you know, race to the bottom kind of tournament? And, you know, we don't even know if it's going to affect... Like lottery standings anything like that obviously there's a lot of detail that still needs to be released about it but you know like like Kyle said as much as i'd like to see you know even if those vets weren't playing then okay that's cool now we get to see the young guys play we get to see maybe a little bit more of what we wanted to see throughout the second half of the season but that kind of indulgence and curiosity doesn't seem like it's nearly worth the risk even in a place that doesn't seem to be spiking like Florida is it's like cases are on the rise there. Like they are in almost every state right now. Um, It just seems, it seems totally reckless and totally pointless to me. So I'm, I'm pretty happy that the Knicks seem to be, you know, shying away from this and yeah, they should be focusing on the coaching search. That is much more important for where they are right now than figuring out if they're going to play what, like eight to 15 more games I, I I don't see any reason for them to be interested in that.
1: I would have one demand if I was those teams. I would say, okay, these games should count towards the lottery, and the worst team gets the lesser pick, like in normal times. And if I was the Knicks, I would send every bum we have and keep R.J. Mitch and Frank there because, like you guys said, this is just a money grab. And <clears throat> not to lap over what you guys did because I'm, I agree with you completely. So I'm going to take a look at does this leeway to the NBA's bad financial situation because if you're this desperate to get more games something else has to be up because they've they've been pretty vehement about getting some type of playing in and I believe when that coalition of players that didn't want to do the Orlando bubble came up the league's argument was yeah you can't play but not playing any games is going to hurt the salary cap next season and beyond so is this Chicago thing another type of money grab that's where my head's at right
2: now it is but At at the same time, and and I'm asking this earnestly because I don't think any of us are smart enough to know, especially not me, but at at which point, now we're in July, right? So July, what, 3rd today as we're recording? um, Free agency already happened last year at this time. You know, the the big names, the big dominoes had already fallen, right? So we kind of knew what was happening last year, and right now – we're still 30-ish days away from the playoffs. There's not even the playoffs. Their season resuming for a few weeks before we even get to playoffs. The finals are set to be played in October. We're already months behind, right? And as we know with this virus, anytime there's a relapse or a a significant wave or outbreak in, in any given area, especially where people are already testing positive, like the players are before they've even gotten to the bubble in Orlando, which, again, is uh, the looking like the new epicenter for the virus in America. Um, I, I just don't know that it could be anything but a money grab, but also at what point do you, does this get too late and you, and you go, well, we got to start preparing for next season. Cause I, I'm, I'm genuinely wondering because if we're in July and this is already when free agency is supposed to be happening, the draft is supposed to be happening and none of that's going to happen until mid to end October. So you're already starting, you know, months behind. So what's next season going to look like? You know what I mean? Are we going to have a, a forty-game season next year? A fifty-game season with with a shorter playoffs? Or, or how how do we event, you know try to navigate this to get back on track? It just seems like if something happens in Orlando and they got to shut down again, now we're pushing. We're again we're already months behind schedule, right? To get on track with the twenty twenty one season, one one slip up, which I feel like is inevitably going to happen. This all shuts down again, and now we really don't get anything for a while. So. I don't I don't know that it makes a lot of sense. Like and I and I, and I get that big money is in play and TV deals and and I don't want to sound like I know everything because I don't. And obviously guys running these leagues and, and making these decisions have to are, are not in a, a fun position to be in right now. I think it's easy for us to say like you shouldn't play the games either. But obviously they feel strongly that for financial implications for everyone involved, owners down to players, that they should be playing. So I don't know. Just seems really, really risky. Seems like a relapse could really throw a wrench in, you know, them trying to start things up for next season. And that's mostly what I'm concerned about. It, as much as whatever happens happens at the end of the season, I'd be cool with canceling. I'd be cool with them finishing and, and things going moderately safely. I, I'm cool with whatever happens. But I, I just start to worry that we're really jeopardizing what's going to happen next season and if we do that it's not just next season you know like th- like right. think about ne- next season we're already walking on eggshells to get next season going right one slip up and i feel like next season doesn't happen
1: like, yeah we only have a two-month window because yeah. the next season would start in december
2: yeah so because if you if you mess up again then you don't have a window anymore right so theoretically you're going to resume the season middle of 2021 or, or spring 2020 like wh- what are we doing what are we doing? Which so that's, is, that's what I worry about, man. I, I, I'm i not smart enough to know, but I'm worried about that.
1: Which is why I think this bubble is going to suffer the same fate. Remember back when Gobert tested positive, they were going to try out Nets and Warriors with no fans. That was going to be like the first pilot run, and that just fell apart. I feel we're getting to that point. The Nuggets already closed their facility. The Clippers. I believe the Pelicans as well. So thats that's three teams already. If you open up another bubble, you open up another – layer of teams that could get positive tests. I mean, the Nets are an absolute mess. So if I'm the Knicks, I'm just like, I'm good. Because three of the Nets stars, right? It's Dinwiddie, Jordan, and I'm missing somebody else. They tested positive. I'm not sure what Illinois' case is right now. But as you said, Kyle, Florida is (laughs) – I think it already has more cases than some countries in Europe. This is already wildly irresponsible. And I really think this all goes back to China backing out of – the TV deal or whatever they had with the NBA because ever since then, it's kind of been like, oh, God, we had to make up all this money if we want to keep the salary cap on the exponential growth rate that it was on.
0: Yeah, so. And it also comes down to incentives for, like, the players, obviously they get paid for the games that they're going to play. But, you know, for star players or for players who, you know, are on expiring contracts or who are, you know, the Davis Bertans of the league, I I really don't see what the incentive is for them to be playing these games. I, I just think that it's gonna you're gonna see a lot of teams where you know they're trotting out sort of like bench units, and it's it's almost like a summer league thing where you know people are hoping that they catch someone's eye in the last couple weeks of the season. But it just yeah that that alone does not seem nearly worth the massive massive risk that you're taking and putting all these people in danger just to, you know, squeeze a couple more games out of them.
2: Look, like, and, and again, I don't want to sound like a wet blanket. Everybody who listens to this podcast mm-hmm. loves to call me a wet blanket or I'm the downer or whatever. That's fine. I honestly, in an, in, a, in a perfect world, I'd love nothing more than the blank of this bubble to go exactly as the NBA intends. No hitches, no issues. The Knicks get forced to come back. R.J. Barrett finishes the year balling out, dominating the ball no more Alfred Payton BS. Like, I love that. I, I would love that as a basketball fan. So I don't want to sound like I'm like, I hate the idea. Like how did, but it just, it just logically just doesn't make sense to me. I just feel like we're going to spend a lot of time and energy talking about it, getting ready for it. One hiccups going to happen. And then, okay, well, we're back to square one. So we'll see what happens. Obviously we have this podcast. We got to make the concept for the people. I hope that things go well. If, if they're seriously, doing this because I and we are invested in the team and the players, not just as players but as people. So I hope that all these guys that come and play for us stay healthy. But I'm skeptical and a little bit worried for them. So we'll see what happens. But again, definitely do stand with the Knicks here. Don't worry about that bubble. Forget Chicago. Interview these coaches. Stay at home do what you got to do. Prepare for 2021. You, you hired Wes. You got Leon Rose. You, you should be doing nothing to want to further this season. This was another horrible, forgetful season. You should be doing everything you can to bury it and try to move on to the next one. I could not agree more with what the Knicks are doing, which feels like such a strange thing to come out of my mouth on this podcast.
1: And to make it even better. The two candidates they were interviewing, one, Jason Kidd, not that impressive. But Will Hardy, if you guys remember last episode when we had Sam on, that's the young Spurs assistant. So they were doing good work instead of listening to the league try and pry them to Chicago. So kudos to the Knicks. Hopefully it's a step in the right direction. I think they should be focused on the draft, which brings us to our next topic. Yesterday, Eli – Quentin Haynes, Sam DiGiovanni, who was on the uh, last week's episode, and TKWOG Nick Scalero—they did a really cool piece where they were given each given a tankathon sim and had to make the best possible draft. Eli, did you have the sixth pick? I'm trying to remember. No, you had the eighth pick. I
0: had so, the eighth pick. Yep.
1: So let's run through what you did with your draft, and we'll go through the other guys, and we'll see which one. Was the best possible outcome because I feel like everything the Knicks do should be focused on two things head coaching and drafting because that's the only thing that matters right now that could help the team moving forward.
0: I totally agree. Yeah, so I had the eighth pick uh, because one and two, uh, in kind of an infuriating but still fun way, were Golden State and New Orleans, um, which would be a sort of ridiculous and amazing outcome. Uh, but so I figured that the top point guards, the LaMelo and Killian Hayes, who are my top two players on the board, would be well gone by the time that the Knicks came on the board. Um, And so what I did, uh, I opted to go with Devin Vassell, because as uh, I've talked to Mike a little bit about before, I am not a huge believer in a lot of the other point guards, and especially not a huge believer of those point guards as being uh, ideal fits for the Knicks. So I know that Mike is a huge Tyrese Halliburton fan. Um, but I personally find his fit with the Knicks to be pretty terrible. And I think that he would sort of be playing to his weaknesses in a lot of the same ways that RJ was playing to his weaknesses this year. Uh, so what I decided to do, I wanted to get a solid wing, a good shooter, and a good defender to pair with RJ on the wing. So Devin Vassell, six seven, long with about a 6'10", wingspan. Um, and while he sort of projects as a, like a three and D guy for his medium outcome, I think he's got some real shot creation potential uh, at Florida state. He really showed the second year, the ability to put the ball on the floor, hit tough shots over contests and uh, be a really good cutter. So I think that if you put a guy like that next to RJ, who's going to be playmaking and diving to the rim, then you can open up the floor for a lot of the guys. So I I took him, and then I actually was the only person in our of the four of us who didn't take De- Desmond Bain with the 27th pick, as much as I wanted to. In fact, I started out my paragraph, and none of us saw what the other people were doing, but I started off talking about how much I wanted to take Desmond Bain. But I figured that would be a good time to pick up a point guard, and so I got Grant Riller, who, you know, whether he's going to be there at 27, I certainly hope he's going to be there at 27. He seems like a guy who's going to, kind of climb boards as we get closer and closer to draft day Uh, but just a really high level shooter off the dribble a pretty good playmaker a pretty atrocious defender but you know what he does is exactly what the Knicks need he's got that sort of CJ McCollum kind of herky-jerky slow and then burst kind of low to the ground game Um, and he can just get his shot off at basically any time and he is an absolute tank going to the rim. So I took those two. And then at the end with my with the Charlotte second round pick, I took Killian Tilly because I just wanted shooting. I just decided, you know, forget if we're not going to go with, I mean, D- Riller has starting point guard potential. I think he could really, you know, pop in a big way. But if we weren't going to go with a point guard in the lottery, I just wanted shooting at all positions. So I got Killian Tilly despite the injury risk where he – you know, his body is, seems to be made of, you know, single ply toilet paper in the ligaments. So it's, it'd be scary to take him, but if he could pop, then he's the perfect fit next to Mitchell Robinson. He opens up the floor for everyone. He's a good passer, good shooter, decent, like positional defender, even if he's not, you know, a rim protector in a classical sense of the word. But so I figured what I wanted to do is just get as much shooting as possible and get as many kind of Smart players as possible. So with Riller and Tilly, they're both older players. They're both, I think, at least twenty-two. And I thought that that would actually be kind of good for these young Knicks who sort of need steadying presences who just really know how to play the game. You know, that's the biggest problem with guys like Knox and even Frank and Mitchell Robinson to a certain extent too. They they're still learning how to play the game. So I was going with guys who I thought really just knew how to play the game, and then I figure. You know next year we try to get the point guard of the future and in the meantime if we can get you know a, a fred van vliet to round it out then you have shooting at almost every position other than rj and mitch and in the end that's really what they need the most they need to just surround those guys with as much shooting as possible and i don't you know this year they did the exact opposite of that right and we saw how difficult that made life for rj mitch kind of adjusted to it by the end but I'm just looking for – I'm saying sort of punt on defense for this year and just try to get people who can shoot because, God, it's been so long since a team actually had, you know, a crop of shooters that they could look to.
1: Right, and I loved everything you did given the circumstances. My fear is the draft's going to look a lot similar to what Nick had. Nick had – I believe he was at the seventh pick and they went Cole Anthony, and I really think anything below six they're going to go Cole. And that's my deepest fear. Not that I think Cole's necessarily bad. I just, we went through this with RJ where he's not going to be efficient and there's going to be a ton of expectation on Cole Anthony. And I'd rather have someone like Tyrese Maxey or what you went with. I really prefer a wing at that point because for me, I've really settled on, I was a fan of Halliburton early on, but I'm really on the Killian-Lamella wave. If not, go Denny or even or Vassell. One question for you though was Tyrell Terry theoretically out of your board Yeah, when, I considered his... him
0: I considered him I figured he would be sort of late teens early 20s um I so agree. while he is sort of my ideal I just kind of figured he was a little bit out of reach for that one um and you know in the like Bane Terry and Riller are all kind of in that same boat where I feel like those are, the, those are three guys who, as we get closer and as warm-up uh, workouts start happening more and more, they're going to start rising. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty worried that all three are going to be gone by the time we get to 27. But I figured Riller, out of the three of them, just due to age and like concerns about the conference that he, you know, he played for College of Charleston, you know, so there's, there are those concerns about, you know, his uh, his competition level. So I figured if one of those three were going to slip, it might be him. But uh, but and as for so I, I'm actually of the opinion that if it's between say Cole Anthony and Halliburton that I would take Cole Anthony, which it goes against all my better instincts. As as you guys know, when the, this current team was being assembled this summer, I was writing on Nick's Wall Slack chats talking about how it, they were making a team out of all my least favorite kinds of players. You know the p- players you consider like a little bit worse feel for the game non-shooters, non-defenders, and so here I am advocating for a guy who is, you know, got a questionable feel, is a questionable defender, you know, makes kind of poor decisions a lot of the time, but, uh, and so, and Halliburton was my guy early on, just for all those reasons. I just wanted someone smart, I wanted someone who could shoot, and I wanted someone who could really, you know, open up things for other people, but as we've gone further and further, I think, I do think Cole is a little bit. Underrated now. I think his season was an absolute train wreck, but I don't think it's going to be completely indicative of who he's going to be as a player. And I think that his skill set as someone who can shoot off the dribble, and I think he is a better passer than he really showed at UNC. So he would be my choice over Halliburton, but I think that limiting yourself to just those options can get you in trouble. And that's why I went with a wing instead, because I figure the thing that every team needs is a two way wing who can shoot and who can create some shots. Like obviously Chris Middleton, it's like probably his highest end outcome, but if you can get someone who can even be like 80% of Middleton, just shoot, pass, defend his ass off against different matchups. I think that every team in the league is looking for that. So if you can get that, then sort of, I think the, it makes everything a little easier and it makes those other pieces a little easier to put in place around them.
1: Now, I had one question for you. It's more of an opinion than anything else. Would you, in a scenario, let's say Quentin. Quentin got the third pick. He went Killian Hayes. If someone like Tyrell Terry's there, who I've fallen in love with, admittedly, where do you go double guard? Or even in your scenario, would you go Vassell and then Desmond Bain? Do you think they have to spread the light? Do you think it has to be a guard at some point in this draft and it has to be a shooter? Or would you double up in any department in particular?
0: I think it has to be a shooter. I don't think it has to be a guard. I think that if you just go with wings and then maybe try to get like a floor spacing big or like a, you know, a Tyler Bay who can probably play a good amount of four uh, in the second round. I think that's a pretty good outcome, especially considering, you know, you've got a lot of really, really interesting guard prospects in 20, 2021. And I would say, yeah, you, I would be totally happy with just going all wings and, I'm of I'm also of the opinion this might be a little bit of a hot take that RJ Barrett should be getting some real looks at the 4 because I think that that would sort of um play to his skill set oh. a little bit more. Interesting. It was, it uh, uh, it was, you know he's big, he's strong and he can't really shoot no. so I think if you put him at the 4 and just let him be a mismatch nightmare.
2: No. <laughs> you don't think <laughs> say no. Eli 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 hey <laughs> I, I, I'm okay, I don't hate it right like I see where you're going with it I, I want to start there I, I understand there is a clean line of logic to what you're trying to say and I understand that very much. I think it's premature at best. I, I think he's strong and he's got a good frame and there is that mismatchability. I don't think he's going to be useful doing that at, at a four spot in those spurt minutes until he gets more comfortable with that in the NBA and the physicality like he he was a physical two guard this year right and that was mostly you know him being bigger than other twos I worry and he he found out how to use his body really well and even defend better than even any of us I think thought especially me and Mike who were already high on him right so I don't think putting him at the four is going to get you the results that you're hoping at least in the short term but I can see that logic later on I actually was T- going to say on, on that point before I want you to counter me I actually thought he should be getting more reps just at point guard I, I think you should use That's where you should use his mismatch ability. He can handle the ball a little bit, and he's already bigger and stronger than twos and some threes. He's 20 years old. Like at at the PG spot, he's going to be even bigger than guys and even stronger than guys. And that's how you can really get some mismatches going. So I think you got to go the other way. I'm like with you on the logic, but I think it's got to go the other way.
1: Well, that's why I think the middle ground is the three. That's why I'm so focused on someone like Killian Hayes because him and Frank, you can put them either or and then just have barrett run the point as a point forward because i quentin wrote a really good piece on it last year at the start of last year that they were using rj as a point forward in the summer league when he actually started going and it worked and i don't want to give up that strength advantage that he currently possesses because you put him against fours yeah he'll finally have the speed advantage but i don't i mean i'm not opposed i'm willing to look at it first before completely writing it off but I pref- I really want to see what he could do at the three first and then maybe, you know, baby steps, walk, uh, crawl before you can walk type of thing.
0: See, for me, I, I agree with everything that you're saying, I and I do think that there are – I wouldn't want him like full time at the four, but I think that the the way that he would be able to kind of carve out space, I th- I think that shooting is so important at the two and the three. So if he's not going to be, you know, like a knockdown shooter – I don't think that means he has to play the four, but I think like if you look at like a team like Boston, right, and obviously Boston has just talent stacked on talent. So it's it's hard to like say anyone should emulate Boston. But you know, with with their Brown, Hayward, Tatum kind of trio and they all sort of interchangeably play, like RJ Barrett's about the same weight as Tatum. RJ Barrett's like he's a little bit smaller and I think that what you can do is you if you, so that's why if you get like a Vassell who's six seven with a six ten wingspan if you get like say a Desmond Bain to kind of play the two you have Frank who can kind of oscillate between positions then I don't it doesn't necessarily matter which one is nominally playing the four but I think that what you can do is you can really tailor matchups around RJ's specific skill set and I do I do want to see him get some run at the one provided that his handle gets you know a massive amount bigger which is part of the reason why this this whole downtime might actually be great for him to just work on his the skill aspects. Um, but I don't think, I, I think I want to see him do both. And, and really what it is is I don't want, again, like I said, I don't want him to be a full-time four, but I want them to start experimenting with it. I want to see him put there for just a few stretches at a time next to Mitch, you know, it's just to see what he's got. Cause honestly, what do you lose by seeing what he can do there? And I really think that if you can start making him – that's his only chance of being a blow-by guy is going up against fours because otherwise he doesn't really have the speed uh, or the first step. He's a brute. He can power to the basket, but my, he's not going to be blowing by threes, I don't think.
2: Right. I don't think blowing by, but that's why I'm saying if you put him at the point guard spot, these are guys that are smaller and aren't going to cover as much ground naturally. So it offsets some of that blow-by ability that he doesn't have with just being a, a behemoth to these guards you know that's kind of the way i'm looking at it. like if you're a guard you don't want to deal with that guy like just physically you like that's annoying like look at him barreling down the lane i stand no chance like that that's sort of what i'm i don't but i don't hate the four like i see your logic i think over time that's something they it implement but i just think right now or even next year it's a little too soon but on that note because our zoom call is about to cut out and we haven't paid for an upgrade we're gonna stop for an ad and then i'm gonna re- uh, finish the pod with a little Dotson talk, as I'm sure you all want to see in here. So stay tuned. Coming right back.
1: Yeah, so I guess I'll just try that on 2K because, I mean, it works for the Rockets. The Rockets kind of do this where P.J. Tucker is actually – actually go farther than that, where P.J. Tucker is around the same size as R.J., if I'm not mistaken. And he plays center. So, I'm like I said, I will very, definitely give it a chance. And if they were to add a couple more wings or a shooting guard, hey, why not? I mean, so they have – if it
2: works badly – is- Th- this is my large this is my larger logic and i don't want now i don't want to sound crazy because they they don't have the same games and i'm going to try to make a very broad and rough point like you you know how like this is just- this is not a comparison i feel like i have to really say that multiple times so people understand it's just a loose play style statement you see these big guards that di- you know that can play make and they get the ball a lot they all have maybe different styles or Talents or skills right like James Harden Obviously he can assist like like a, An elite PG and he can also Score like the best scorer in the league and that's why he's James Harden we know that we know that we understand That but then you see like a Luca, Who's sort of on that same Trajectory again more of a transcendent Talent than RJ being totally fair Of course better than RJ totally fair of Course Um, But again he's not Luka's as great as he is Luca's not really fast He's not huh? It's not slander it's not. He's a he's a big, big guard who knows how to use his body and knows how to use it effectively to get by people. And a lot of times those are guards that he's matched up with. All I'm saying is not that they have similar games, but just in terms of being a, a big guard who gets some of those ball handling duties, I feel like that just makes more sense with how you want your, your guard to develop in 2020. I think trying him out at the four spot is the right idea in certain spots, maybe in a season or two. I just think you got to let him get his legs underneath mm-hmm. him a little bit more With that, and I feel like that would be even more effective. And I almost like that more with your draft, Eli, because now you get RJ who can't shoot, but we know he can play make. We know he can give you five assists, six assists willingly because we saw him do it a lot in his rookie season with terrible spacing and no point guard, right? No shooters. And he was still getting you some dimes. So I'm kind of comfortable with, like, your draft uh, mindset, your draft strategy, whether or not it's those exact players, but, like, that some kind of plan like that. And just letting RJ get a little bit more time handling the ball, because I feel like you can kind of get those same results. You know what I mean? I feel like that's the same kind of formula. You just move the pieces around a little bit different.
0: Yeah, I don't mind that. I just think the one thing you see from like the – especially like obviously the two guys you mentioned, like you said, are the elite of the elite right now. But the two things that you see especially are really, really high-quality handle and that that kind of pretty natural passing ability. And so – He's a good passer, but that handle is going to need to get, like, he's going to need, like, two or three major leaps in ball handling, I think, before – out, but, you know,
2: but, like – that, but, like but that's them, why he's got to do it. That's why he's got to do, do it. I want to see
0: them try all of it. I want to see him get r- run at basically every position except the five. And that's the – I think, I think like you said, you got to do it, and that's the only way you're going to find out what he can
2: do. Because the only reason I'm saying is I, I feel better putting him in that position than the four early on because I could see the four going badly for him, right? Like – he might be quick enough, but those are bigger guys, and it's going to be harder for him to get around them. And then on top of that, they're going to be stronger than him. So it's like he's either going to blow by first step instantaneously, and if not, then he's in a, in a physical matchup, and he's not going to win as strong as he is, you know. So it, it's definitely the right mindset. You should never pigeonhole any players. You should always want to get them in as many positions and situations as you can. But I just think uh, that, that I agree with but further – down the road you know honestly
1: the more i've thought about it i kind of feel like a hypocrite because i just felt victim to that straight oh it's not his position type of thing i'm just looking at heights and weights and rj's big enough compared to the lucas pj Tucker, as i mentioned it's not as far-fetched as i initially thought when he said it it really isn't but you know another way they can do this without the draft picks and this will transition to our last topic Mm. Play play, Damian Dotson. Well done. Well not.
2: All right. We, we, we never, ever pivot successfully. I don't know if you listened, <laughs> listen to listeners on this pod. We, we never transitioned the right. We, are, we, we have been doing this five years, and we've never once, from Corbo to Gibberman to Matt to Bailey to all of us who've been in this, we've never transitioned well. So thank you, Mike, for a, a seamless transition. Uh, I want everyone who's listening to actually appreciate that. It never happens. So enjoy it but i agree uh mike can you give us some background the dots and stuff because i was a little fired up about it
1: yeah so i saw dots and tweet i was like he says you guys sound like some haters so i see the video clip and i click on this account which my friend my good friend matt Spenley, has been that's been his arch nemesis for a while so i found it very funny so i can't remember the podcast name off the top of the head off the top of my head I don't really want to put them on blast it, it, like it, that.
2: It, it, it's a, we don't, we're not doing a drag. We're just talking about the continents.
1: Yeah, so the segment was that we people are overreacting to seeing Damian Dotson get playing time and trying to hammer the point home that it's just Damian Dotson who cares. Guys, how'd you feel? I mean, I'm a long Dotson supporter. I've wanted him. He's He was good last year. I, I'll never forget the game in Toronto. We actually did a solid job in Kauai, and then I never saw him again. So, personally, I'm whole team. I know Kyle is. I know, Eli, I think you are too. So, initial so, reactions. At
2: least, look, it, at least know what you're talking about. Um, I, I don't – I know everybody doesn't agree with me on this pod often. A lot of the listeners don't tend to agree, even though going to toot my own horn here. I'm right far more often than you guys want to give me credit for. <laughs> let's, let's call a spade a spade. I don't even like my own opinion sometimes, but I end up correct. So, it's just – Be honest here, okay? The Dotson thing, you can not be sold on his upside or what he's going to be, you know, potential-wise at the end of the day and understand that that has no bearing on the context of the team that he's on, the skill set that he has, and that just logically, common sense, he should have been playing more. Um, If your mindset is to basically bank, and and this is what I always go to, and it's not – a Frank Nealakina bashing, but it just goes to show the hypocrisy that we have when we like certain prospects more than others. Like, we're looking at a guy, Damian Dotson, who, when given the minutes, consistent minutes and a consistent spot and a rotation, a guy who never demands the ball, every time he gets in there, what does Damian Dotson do? He just moves off ball. Moves off ball like a madman, catches and shoots a bunch of threes, hits him about 36%, you know, defends his behind off, you know, he's not the best defender, but he gives you a lot of effort. He can guard the two and the three, couple of select ones. He moves his feet well, keeps his hands up. All the things that we complain that players never do here, on the basketball court, Damian Dotson does those things. Period. Period. We never have shooting. He shoots the ball. And one thing he does well
1: with shooting, not to – sorry to interrupt you, but it's really something I don't want to forget. He does. He's A lot of these guys don't do this on the Knicks, which is kind of weird. He'll run to the weak side. He's usually wide open. Nobody else really does that. So just the basic instinct of spacing the floor, it's just refreshing so, to a team that just cluttered all the time.
2: When I was first learning how to play basketball and like really learning uh, after high school and playing a ton of pickup with a ton of guys and picking up things beyond my bullshit isolation scoring, you know, the, the first thing that they were I was told was like, hey, you're a shooter. You should never not be moving with the, you know, never stop moving. Just, you know, do little V cuts or always go baseline or like you should always, you know, if you watch Rip Hamilton, Rip Hamilton never stops moving. Ray Allen never stops moving. And not that he's obviously not these guys, but it it's to your point, Mike, like that's something that all these off-ball guards kind of never do when they get to New York for whatever reason. But he does those things. If you have eyeballs and you watch the Knicks, like you say you watch the Knicks, he's doing those things. The things that we complain that nobody ever does, he is doing them. So whether or not you think he's got the upside, we're not saying he needs to be Joe Harris or whatever, but it's like we never have any shooting. A guy can shoot passably here and defend at a, at, at a spot that you need it on the wing that we never get it. And then we're going to basically say he sucks, he shouldn't be playing. Then who should be playing? Wayne Ellington who couldn't make a three for the first three months of the season? Like, you know, like what what is it that you guys want sometimes other than to just – be loud and wrong and angry about nothing. And I get like, and I get it. It's not easy rooting for this team, but like at least know what you're talking about sometimes. Like you you can't be more off base about something than what you like. and, And you could say what you want about maybe off court stuff or stuff that in his past, like I think there's valid, there's always validity to those things. But if you're talking about basketball and that's what they're talking about, a basketball on the basketball court, Damian Dotson sucks. Like you're, you guys are mad about Damian Dotson. Yeah, man, I'm mad. My, the team that I root for, totally devoid of shooting, bench, they they bench the shooters. They bench the guys who can do the scoring. I am i I'm mad about that. Not just the scoring, one who's going to play defense. I'm mad about that. That, like, and I think some, but one of you guys said in the Slack chat, he'd have a team, uh, a spot on any rotation in the league. Any rotation of the league. A guy who can score 14, 15 points, catch and shoot, playing defense. That guy's going to have a spot anywhere. 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 And as always, it's never here. So, it's very silly. Like, I'm not saying you got to be president of the, the Damian Dotson fan club, but if if you guys want to present yourself as knowledgeable and present yourself as Knicks fans, just know what you're talking about. Not everything needs to be a hot take. Not everything needs to be this manufactured drama. Sometimes we just have a good shooter, a good defender, stuck on the bench, and it stinks. It's the wrong decision. It stinks. We can all agree on something for once.
0: That's it. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I actually – I turned it off. That little clip, basically, as soon as I heard the opening argument was, yep. it was something along the lines of, "People are mad that Damian Dobson doesn't get minutes for the Knicks, but he can't get minutes for the Knicks," and that was that was the well, opening argument. And I sort of just turned it, it off after that. They're like it, that doesn't make yeah, that is not a compelling argument. where so yeah, so does the buck stop?
2: So like Kevin Knox, that's it, right? Everyone wants Kevin Knox to play because he's twenty years old, right? But so should we start on this podcast? Kevin Knox can't get minutes for the Knicks because he can't get minutes for the Knicks. Yeah. It's he more thinks, of a get him of out a of team. here. And yeah. then we go on, and then we go on a 15 minute rant. It's like, what, what, what is it that like, what is the point? I, I don't understand what the point of that was uh, like that. That's why the blowback happened. Cause normally I wouldn't care enough to respond or even talk about any of this stuff. But when it, when you're so off base about something and so loud and proud about being so off base about it, that's what bothers me, man. Like, and look at the end of the day, we're all wrong about stuff all the time. But like, you can't you can't present to watch all these games, and and kind of run counter to everything that actually happens in those games. It's very silly.
0: Well, no one's out here saying that Damian Dotson is going to be you know Ray Allen if you give him thirty minutes a night. No one's saying that, and that's the most ridiculous part about it. But like you know, in similar to what I was talking about with Devin Vassell, about someone who can shoot, play defense, is a smart cutter, and you know he he averaged almost two assists his second year. Like, that's just a decent player. And if he's no more than a decent player, the Knicks need decent players. That is not a bad thing. Like, someone who is just, like, solid is totally fine and should be getting playing time for a team that is god-awful. Worst team in the league. Worst in the league. It doesn't have to be any deeper than that. Worst offense in the league. We can't shoot – oh, we have a shooter right here. He happens to be one of our few two-way players.
2: What is the obsession – what is the obsession with Knicks fans – Knowing knowing we have the worst offense and being anti-offense with every player, I don't understand when this
1: happened. No, and I have to jump in because I posted uh, something on No Context Knicks, and it was a picture of Leon Rose and Devin Booker, which superstar score under 25. And one of the comments said, aim higher. So I was like, "Ah, this guy's probably playing around. But he was serious. And he says, no, let's aim our higher for Donovan Mitchell. I was just like, I like both of them, obviously. Which Devin Booker, I found out's Puerto Rican. So, by the laws of Puerto Ricans, he has to come to New York. But, anyway, really? Devin Booker is not – I feel like that's the highest you can aim right now. A superstar scorer. But it's like, nope, he doesn't defend. He doesn't do this. It's like, why are we doing this? And with Dotson, it's, what got me most mad is, appreciate the good stuff we do have. Your argument's valid if you say, like, Wayne Ellington can't find minutes. Or who was the – there was another one Give him a mention. I was like, yeah, you're right. If he can't get minutes on the Knicks. Can't think of it right now. Maybe Portis. I don't know. I forgot who it was. But that's that's different. It's a veteran player. Damian Dotson, what is he? Was it three years now?
0: Yeah, he's on. going into his fourth. Like,
1: give me a break. And it's the team not playing him.
0: Well, the you whole point West of Chester. being a bad young team is to evaluate these players, give yes. them time, and see if you can develop them.
1: Right what they tout for what the last three years oh we're we're developing talent no you're not you're just sitting in the grass waiting for the quick fix which is fine but play the good people please it's not that hard to ask and the idiots that say why are we getting mad about it it's just the core principle of identifying talent developing talent
2: if you want to if you want to tout yourselves as the smartest Fans in basketball as Knicks fans often do We grapple with this thing because we have nothing else That Knicks fans got, gotta got be the smartest Fans in basketball still we always know what we're Talking about and yet the stuff That I see kills me When I see things like that from people Who have some kind of a platform Or some kind of a following like we can't Be the smartest it, like at some point Even if you don't like a guy like Just be Objective about what's happening on the court You know what I mean like you don't gotta make stuff up just, well, they try and just 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 talk like just be just normal about stuff. i don't understand it basketball is a simple game man it's easy to measure guys who are doing things or who aren't doing things i think we always overcomplicate it, or we always put in personal feelings or other things like it's not hard man just focus on what's going on on the court you clearly see a guy who's a catch and shoot score who is, is something that we need we always need it's just very the whole the whole thing's very who silly, can right? defend no nobody nobody it's just we don't we don't want to